All right. Uh, I am, again, so glad that you're here. You know, last week uh, we began talking about uh, reincarnation, we, and we talked about its origins, kind of where the idea of it kind of stems from, why it's growing uh, in our country uh, amongst both believers and non-believers alike. We, we talked about some of the things that, about the belief that may be appealing to people. Uh, and then, you know, at the end I shared with you that one of the things that I'm thankful for is that it does at least keep at the forefront of people's discussions the idea of life and after death. What what does happen at life after death? And and the reality that the soul is immortal. And so those are two things that I think are very positive. But if you recall, I asked you as we kind of drew all that to a conclusion to say, well, while that's good that it keeps the idea of life after death and um, immortality at the front of people's minds and conversations is reincarnation is that the best route to take when one is searching for those those answers now i know it's not going to surprise you but i'm going to have to say no <laughs> that, that this is not the best route to take when you're trying to find the answers for life and death and the immortality of soul and, and here's a couple just quick reasons as far as like logic goes and and then i'll share some things scripturally with you as well toward the end of the class but just as far as like logic and reason goes um reincarnation doesn't solve the problem of pain and suffering that is a problem that all mankind has it is a problem that everyone deals with well reincarnation and karma um it doesn't solve this if anything it looks at the injustices and it says well you know what it is what it is that as a result of your karmic debt uh, if you're experiencing pain in this life suffering in this life it's obviously because of your past lives it's obvious that in your past lives you didn't live how you're supposed to live and now consequentially you're just having to deal with that karmic debt the pain and suffering in this life and I'm the first to admit that when it comes to the pain and suffering of this life, all of us as Christians, listen, we've all been faced. We've probably asked this question ourselves, if not of ourselves and personal circumstances, certainly of people we love who are going through hard times. We find ourselves sometimes saying, why? Why, God, are they going through this? And, and, and sometimes we just kind of have to throw up our hands and say, I don't know. Aside from the reality that we live in a fallen and broken world and there's just pain and suffering all around us, sometimes there's a lot of answers to those things that we kind of wish we had that we just don't. But again, reincarnation doesn't either. Reincarnation would say, you know that person that you care so much about. You've seen all the heartache they've gone through, man, all the pain that they've suffered. Maybe maybe it's that loved one who's an addict and they just can't seem to overcome that addiction. And and you know how desperately they've tried over and over again. And, and you know the harm that it's brought their life. And you know the harm that it's actually inflicted on other people's lives who love them. And you've just seen them deal with this. And you've seen them deal with the consequences of that addiction for so very long. And they just can't shake it. What person with a karmic background would say, you know what, I'm sorry, but they just obviously lived a very bad life in their previous life. Or the person suffering even with cancer. 
dying, withering away. Yeah. They obviously didn't live the life they should have lived previously. That's not a solution. That's not even trying to deal with the difficulty of pain and suffering. That's actually trying to dismiss it at best. And and when we go down this path of like previous guilt, it takes you down a path of like permanent regression, right? Where basically, well, it was the last life's fault. 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 And you start going generation to generation to generation trying to pass the buck. And then what happens? Well, if you go back far enough, well, if there was a first, if there was a first life, then why did that first person experience the pain and suffering of life the way everybody does? Because you know they did. But yet they didn't have karmic debt because there was no life before them. So see, reason and logic just really doesn't hold true to this idea when it comes to the problem of pain and suffering. Another problem with it is that karma is just not a moral law. Now, there are those who would say and teach that karma is just like the Old Testament in the sense that it is a, it is a set of universal moral code. But karma is it's more about retribution, right? Like there's no content to look at within the parameters of karma and say, well, this is what a person is supposed to do, and this is what a person's not supposed to do, say the way that in the Old Testament the Ten Commandments does. There's nothing like that within karma. It's just kind of up in the air, do good, don't do bad, but nobody ever really sets the standards for what the good or the bad is. So there's no one there to, to tell you what the standards are. So then you kind of are left saying, well, then what right does karma have to enforce that karmic debt when it's never really told me thou shalt not do this or thou shalt do that. It's just something you're supposed to understand. Doing right, good, and not evil. We also see with some, with some uh, reincarnists, they're not often humanitarian. You know, in India, there are there are a lot of poor, homeless, starving people. I mean, a lot. Um, just yesterday, I ran across an article saying that if India wants to make a dent into its homeless and starving population, that their government is going to need to pour back $74 billion a year from now until like 2032, I think to just begin to make a dent in the population they currently have who are poor, starving, homeless, very sick. So why is it like that? Well, one, there's a huge population, right? And, and we all are aware of that. But I think another aspect of it is to some degree the idea of karma has perpetuated this. You say, well, how has the idea of karma perpetuated? Well, According to classic Hinduism, right, which has been very prevalent within that society in in the previous generations, if someone were to help someone else who is in pain and suffering, they're, they're messing with karma. 
let me see how I can explain this. If if I if I see John and and I know that John is hurting. And if I decide I want to do something to help John. I'm interfering with the laws of karma because remember John is paying for the debt of his previous life or lives. So the suffering is a consequence. The suffering now is a consequence of your previous life. That's karmic law. So if I step in and I try to help him now, you know what I'm doing? I'm actually taking away from the karmic law that's trying to be resolved now. And he'll have to come back again next time and continue to pay off that debt that he has not yet paid off. And not only that, I may be messing with my own karmic future by interfering with his, I may be messing myself up. So don't help anybody. Their pain and suffering is theirs as a result of their past life. You don't want to make that continue for them. Nor do you want to get yourself in trouble. So oftentimes, in that type of society, karma can keep people from helping. It's strange to me to think that in a hundred lives, you may still not get it right. Like, it's not guaranteed, right? You, you could live a hundred thousand lives, and you may never get it right. You, you may never live a life good enough to pay off that karmic debt. You may somewhere along the way, maybe not in this life, maybe in your next life. You know, you're at church right now. So maybe in your next life, Maybe you're not as good as you are now, so you start adding to that karmic debt. So rather than paying it off by being a good person, then you start to get yourself more in the hole for the next life. <laughs> Doesn't matter how long you live. You stand a really good chance. You are never guaranteed that you'll ever really truly be set free. If one life, if one life is not good enough, then there is no guarantee that any number of lives or any amount of time will ever guarantee that a person will be enough. Listen, those are just a few fundamental problems that I I can see with karma and reincarnation. And I I know that there are many, many more. But but now I want us to take a moment, uh, since we're here in Bible class, (laughs) and I want us to compare the two. And I want us to think about our belief system in in comparison with this one. So, of the two, of reincarnation and resurrection. Reincarnation says that after death, the soul passes on to another body. And that process continues and continues. Resurrection. After death, same soul, but a new and incorruptible body. The idea of reincarnation is it's a process, ever ongoing process toward perfection. Resurrection through Jesus, you're made perfect. Period. It's not this ongoing process from life to life, generation to generation. And we all know that Jesus rose from the grave. We, we've talked a lot about it uh, over the past several days, right? I'll tell you a funny story real quick. Uh, this morning, as we were up before we got started for Eagles for Christ, this young lady was sitting right here off to my side, and I heard her say to her friends, 
man, y'all, I had enough Jesus this weekend. I don't think I need any more today. So she, she hops up. And as she's walking by me, she goes, uh, excuse me, sir, I just want you to know that I already have Jesus in my heart, and he's given me the gift to sing hallelujah. And she left for class. And that was fine. I didn't mind at all, you know, because uh, the rest of them, they were still there with us, still stayed. Uh, and we're still a part of it. Um, so we, we know, obviously, through our teaching, uh, a teaching here, a teaching throughout Christendom, we, we know about the resurrection, I hope. If we don't, then we're, whew, we're failing miserably. Uh, so hopefully we know about the resurrection. Well, with the resurrection of Jesus, he wasn't like a uh, ghost, right? Like we sometimes think of ghosts. Like he wasn't this resurrected from the dead spirit. He was flesh and bone. He, he had a body. He said in Luke twenty four thirty nine. this is following his resurrection. He said, see my hands and my feet, that it's I myself. Touch me and see. Spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Man, what an amazing, awesome moment that must have been. To be standing there in the very presence of Jesus, the one who had been crucified just three days before, laid in that tomb, now resurrected from the dead. And he's standing there in front of you saying, look, it's me, guys. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. And if that's not enough, Verses 41 and through 43, he asks for something to eat. And they fix some fish, and they give him some fish, and he eats the fish in front of them. All these things are very physical body things, right? So we know that Jesus had this physical body in his resurrection. But the resurrection of Jesus is different. It's just different from others in the New Testament who were brought back from the dead. Look, when you, when you think back into the, in the New Testament, we can think of several examples of people who were dead and who were brought back to life. Um, Jesus, of course, raised the widow of Nain's son there in Luke 7. Uh, Jairus' daughter was raised in Matthew 9. Of course, Jesus' friend Lazarus was raised from the dead in Luke 11. Uh, then over in Acts, you have that, the beautiful widow by the name of Tabitha or Dorcas who had done great things for the church. And upon her death... They resurrected her uh, in Acts chapter 9. And then you have the story of Eutychus in Acts 20. And I know you remember Eutychus, right? I hope you need to remember Eutychus. I think all Christians should remember Eutychus. Eutychus fell asleep while Peter was preaching. And he fell out of the window and died. (laughs) Okay, so that's why we all sit down there and not up there, right? Because no one wants to get so bored they fall asleep and they die. But he was brought back to life. Now, what is it that makes all these so different from Jesus? Jesus was truly resurrected. Jesus never died again. The others, they were like miraculously resuscitated because they died again. They they came back. They lived however long they lived after that. They served an amazing purpose to point to the fact that Jesus was who he said he was. And then at some point, they died again. Jesus? Nope. He only died that once resurrected from the grave he's still alive to to live forevermore so his death his resurrection it's just different than several others who were brought back to life and first corinthians paul would write in verse chapter 15 and verse 20 in fact christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep paul says you know the, the resurrection of jesus It happened. It is a fact. 
He is the first fruits. In other words, he is the first to kind of set this um, pattern in place of those who would follow him. So one of these days, when you and I die, if the Lord tarries, we will be resurrected to everlasting life. But Jesus was the first to experience this, this change from perishable to, to imperishable. Within reincarnation. Within reincarnation, they say, you must pay off your karmic debt. Nobody can do that for you. You have to pay that off yourself. For those of us who believe in the resurrection, what we believe is that by the grace of God, we are allowed to avoid eternal punishment. I don't have to pay off my sin. You don't have to pay off your debt of sin. We couldn't even if we wanted to. But Jesus did. In Romans 8 and verse 1, I read this a moment ago during our, our devotional. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If we are in Jesus, there is no condemnation for us. Why? Because we're in Jesus. And no one can, can take that from us. No one can steal that from us. And this, this amazing salvation... We know, hopefully we know and understand it's by the grace of God. That means it is a gift. It is the most precious gift that's ever been given to man. Romans 3 says, beginning in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Then if we go over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not your own doing. It's the gift of God. You and I have been saved. This, this wonderful salvation, this thing that gives us hope of eternal life by the grace of God. By, by the most amazing gift that has ever been bestowed upon mankind. An opportunity through the very Son of God to be reconciled back to have that right relationship with Him. Not because of our own doings, but because of what He has done for us. And this gift is a gift that we receive. We just receive it in faith. Jesus said in John three sixteen through 18 For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So there is judgment. And judgment is going to be based on whether or not people have truly believed Jesus is the Son of God. Now there may be some who have said, but wait a minute, is that really just? Can, can, God, can God just like ignore our sins? And that, that's not what happens, by the way. He doesn't ignore our sins. He doesn't condone our sins. He doesn't just like sweep our sins under the rug and say, well, we just won't talk about that. That's not what happens. He gave His Son to pay for us. He gave His Son to be that propitiation, to be that perfect sacrifice for our sins. Again, a a debt that we could absolutely never pay, He paid off. 
and, and He paid it in full for us. So, is God just? Yes, God is very just. He, he's very just in, in the sense that He accepted this sacrifice from His Son on our behalf. And He accepted this sacrifice to the point that well, it provides our reconciliation and our redemption as well as our justification. All of this and more is found in the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, when we go back to comparing the two teachings, uh, with reincarnation, it is really about personal atonement. That, that is, you're trying to pay again for one's own sins. But for those of us who believe in the resurrection, we might call this vicarious atonement. In other words, someone else is paying for your sins and for mine. This picture, I'll go back to it just a second. I know it makes us uncomfortable. But I, I want us to look at this picture just a moment. Because this image, this moment, this is the gift of God. This is the embodiment of His grace. This is His mercy. This is His love for all man on full display for everyone to see and to hopefully begin to understand how precious that it really is. He was sinless. He was not paying for His sins on the cross. He was paying for ours. There was no need for Him to pay for His own. Now, also with reincarnation. <clears throat> many believe, and I mentioned this I think last week, many who do believe in reincarnation, uh, especially those who try to merge uh, Christianity and reincarnation into the same teaching, um, they especially would present it as a way to say God doesn't want anyone to perish. So this is how everyone will ultimately be saved. Through reincarnation, everyone eventually will be saved. So like at some point, you're going to finally get it right. <laughs> you know, you may have to live a thousand lives and people may slowly be weeding out along the way. The ones who get it right go to heaven. The ones who don't get it right, they're coming back the next time and hopefully they'll get it right the next time. Eventually, you're going to get it right. And so like if you find yourself one of the few left on earth, you know, you should figure it out, right? Because you should at that point go, maybe there's a reason there's only five of us and there used to be billions of us. Not very logical, <laughs> but that that is the teaching. Now, the Bible teaches the Bible teaches that that is not the case. Certainly, God does not want anyone to perish. There is no doubt about that. God is so serious about that, that's why He sent His Son to die. Because God doesn't want anyone to perish. But God also knows that there will be those who do. God also knows, as we see through the teachings of Jesus, that it will be few who find that straight and narrow path. And there will be many who go by that very broad way that leads to destruction. Does this make Jesus, does this make God, does this make them less loving? Some people would say yes. Some people would say, like, I just don't like this idea of eternal punishment. And, and I just don't think that a loving God would allow that to happen. 
Romans 5, verse 8 says, but God shows His love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, God does not want anyone to perish. He so desperately wants everyone to get their life right, He allowed His Son to be that perfect sacrifice so that that bridge could exist between us and God. Like, that's how bad He wants. He didn't wait for us to get it right before He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still lost. Jesus died for us. That's the love of God. As a human being, I I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself here. I find it very easy to love those who love me. I struggle sometimes with loving those that I don't feel love me back. It's a very human feeling. Maybe you can't relate. Few of you can. But to know to know that God would allow His Son to go through the things that we know His Son went through on behalf of not just those who would lovingly accept Him, but all of those who would hate Him. The very ones who would put Him on the cross. The ones who would mock Him and beat Him and spit on Him. All of those who would and continue to reject the name of Jesus. He died for them just like He died for us. That is His love. And again, while we may not be real comfortable in our human skin with the idea of hell, there is just no way around it. You go through Scripture and the teaching that you just see over and over again is that there's going to come a day when those who are in Christ, the saved, they will die, they will be resurrected, they will experience the glories of heaven, and then there will be those who die outside of Christ, and they will experience the agony of a very real place called hell in revelation 20 beginning of verse 11 it says then i i saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence earth and sky fled away no place was found for them and i saw the dead great and small standing before the throne books were open and then another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done And the sea gave up the dead who were dead in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Church, I want to make sure my name's in the book of life. Don't you? Because if my name's not in the book of life, there will be no escaping this second death. There will be no escaping this lake of fire. The choice is ours. It's it's based on the deeds we do. In other words, our life and the choices we make in this life. And if we choose to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, and we choose to live a, a surrendered life to Him where He's Lord and Savior, then one day, not by our own doing or because we deserve it or earned it, but one day by the grace of God, there is an eternal home waiting for us where we'll be in the very presence of God forever and ever. Or or we can continue to choose to live for ourselves, and we can be more uh, self-absorbed and worried about 
the ways of this world and, and blending in with this world more so than standing out the way that a Christian should. And, and, and we can just continue to, to ignore what the will of God is. And then we die and we run the risk of our name not being written in that book of life. And if our name's not written in that book of life, we're not going to escape the second death. That's what the Bible teaches about life after death. That for a child of God, there is the hope of eternal life. And for a person who rejects God, there is the promise. There is the promise of eternal condemnation. There is still a mortality of the soul. Both will be forever. And the choice is ours. No one else can make it for us. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father God, we humbly bow before you tonight and we thank you so much for this opportunity to be with one another, to spend time with you, to spend time in your word. And Father, we, well, as we become more and more aware of eternity, we pray, Father, that, that our lives each day are, are a reflection of your will. And we pray, Father, that people can see your Son, they can see you, they can see your Spirit. They can see us, Father, striving to live a life for you. Father, we pray that as we grow, that we would grow spiritually in such a way that we would begin to more and more as every day and year passes, we would well, we would just grow more and more excited. Excited about being with you forever as we grow to understand that this world is not home. But being reconciled in your presence in heaven, that's our home. Father, help us live for our home. Help us to be a people who are, well, help us, God, to be a people who are truly homesick and who long to be with you. Help us, Father, to not be so tethered by the physical, temporary things of this life that we begin to really dwell on the earthly instead of taking our eyes off that which is eternal. All these things we ask tonight and Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen. You're dismissed.